You've got mail. This is Andy and John Talk Telecom with Andy Netzel and John Rewe. You're now logged into Andy and John Talk Telecom. I am Andy Netzel. And I'm John Rewe. John, good to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How are you this morning, Andy? I am doing great. I am doing great. It's great to uh, to get back on here and to talk to you again. It's been a while. Um, a lot of things happening. A lot of things have happened. So excited to, to talk about some of it. Yeah, it has been a while, but man, uh, it's if you're in this business, um, there's a lot going on. So it's uh, <laughs> hate it for, uh, that we haven't uh, been able to get together here in a little bit, but uh, glad to be back. And man, you're right. There's a lot to catch up on. <laughs> there really is. There really is. What if I told you that part of what I'm going to talk about today is 6G? Would you would you believe that or would you just just throw up your hands and <sighs> disgust and say, man, we're not even we haven't even perfected 5G yet? Well, maybe it's, you know, more relevant now that, you know, 5G doesn't seem to be quite the magic uh, bullet that, you know, it was maybe touted to be or just isn't apparent yet. So maybe it's kind of like a thing where, hey, let's just fast forward to the 6G because that's that's going to be super exciting. Yeah, well, we'll see. Well, we got we got a little bit uh, to talk about it. Um, but yeah, it's some... Uh... Some exciting stuff, also some frustrating, you know, things in there. But before we get to that, you wanted to talk about AT and T and fixed wireless. Am I right about that? Yeah. So um, it's kind of an interesting uh, thing that's kind of come about. I mean, certainly we've talked about. I think the T-Mobile's fixed wireless uh, product. We've talked about Verizon's fixed wireless product uh, from the very get-go of this podcast, Andy, back when you actually had the service um, at your old place in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I just got a Verizon home uh, wireless uh, device recently to test. So we'll maybe talk about that in a future podcast. But AT&T has not really been vocal around that and you know, really kind of communicated a focus on fiber um, and not yeah, so much the been- things- Sorry, they've definitely been aggressive in their their fiber rollout, if if, um, memory serves me correctly. Oh, very aggressive. Uh, I mean, you know, they've spent, let's see, in just for 5G and fiber together, I think they spent like $24 million or billion dollars a year or something. It's like ridiculous. But, (laughs) you know, between the spectrum acquisitions and all that, but, you know, no matter... You're right. They're the largest fiber builder by a long shot. Um, and even still, with all that, they have a long way to go. When you talk about all the fiber that's being built in America right now, it's important to stop and consider how little of a dent we've made so far in overbuilding these legacy networks. I mean, by the end of last year, AT&T had achieved around 24 million fiber passings on their way to a goal of 30 million passings by the end of 2025. And even with all that, which, I mean, they're building so much more, so much faster than anyone else, they're still not even going to be halfway um, to replacing all their legacy copper plant. Wow. I mean, so so I I was just like a a personal experience, um, you know, I'm going to insert this here. Like, so AT&T aggressively put in fiber in our neighborhood. 
like a year and a half ago and yeah. it hasn't been activated, right? You still in my neighborhood cannot get AT&T fiber, even though everything has been laid, you know, 16 to 18 months ago, it, it's been done. Right. And I just, maybe that's part of the issue that that's going on nationwide, but you've got the, the fiber in the ground, you know, why is it a year and a half later? We, you know, us as the consumers still cannot, um, cannot sign up for that. It just seemed a little crazy to me. Well, that is crazy. And it would uh, be interesting to hear why. I mean, it would be kind of crazy to put that much uh, investment in building infrastructure in a neighborhood and then not turn around and monetize that as soon as possible. I mean, I think that, um, you know, there's a fiber overbuilder in, uh, in my town that just finished up a neighborhood. And by the time they finished, they had activated it within, I think, a couple of months. Um, and we're selling, I think they're even pre-selling it. So I think that's kind of an anomaly there. And I mean, you know, uh, you got to wonder too, though, if AT&T is uh, moving so fast that at such scale, you know, surely there could be some uh, mismatch of, of completion of projects. And, and uh, you know, I mean, you got to go from the build status to having like drops installed to having salespeople out there knocking on doors, getting the customers in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It sounds like yours might have fallen through the cracks, but I'd be really curious to hear if something similar is happening anywhere else in the U.S. Uh, for AT&T or any other provider for that matter. Yeah, I'd definitely like to you know give them a try or see if my neighbors give them a try and see the results. But um, but hey, that's I guess that's neither here nor there. We, you wanted to talk about fixed wireless, not fiber. I didn't mean to derail you there. Well, I mean, you know, it's kind of part of the story, though, is you know, AT&T and certainly in talking to a lot of the contractors and, and other uh, uh, vendors that we work with, the work that's been coming out of AT&T has been phenomenal. I mean, it's just been so busy, but, and, you know, the numbers tell it, but, you know, like I said, even with all this um, fiber, they're still going to be short of replacing all their uh, legacy copper. Uh, by a long shot. Um, I mean, it's a hundred year old plant. They've been building this for a hundred years and, <laughs> and you know, it's, I mean, heck, there may be hundred year old pieces of copper out there for all I know. Um, <laughs> so that's a lot to uh, rebuild with fiber. And, you know, a lot of those areas, it just is, it doesn't make economic sense, I guess, uh, to rebuild with fiber um, without sure. government subsidies. So AT&T, is uh, actually looking at jumping on the fixed wireless bandwagon. And in fact, they are. So this is not their first foray into fixed wireless. They use some of the, um, I think their CBRS um, spectrum holdings to provide um, uh, fixed wireless, uh, like failover circuits for business customers um, in recent years. But as we look at where um, their decommissioning copper plant and the areas where they are not going to overbuild with fiber that leaves underserved customer or unserved customers. So the economical approach to that is to deploy fixed wireless. So by contrast with T-Mobile and Verizon, which are kind of focusing on attacking cable MSOs and other providers in more urban um, residential areas, um, AT&T's fixed wireless play focuses more on these rural areas as you know, a replacement for um, DSL. Um, and so they're going to offer, they, I mean, they've got 6.2 million customers still on DSL right now. Although that 
figure is declining at a rate of 1.3 million per year because, well, DSL is expensive and just can't perform in the world that we live in today. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so this is called a copper catch program. So by AT&T. So this fixed wireless product is the goal is to retain uh, in these millions of locations where there will be no more copper um, and they're not going to build fiber. They're just going to say, Hey, here's a fixed wireless product. And it's certainly far superior to DSL and it's, it's going to offer download speeds of 40 to 140 uh, megabits per second. So, um, you know, pretty solid um, above the benchmark, right? It, it is. Um, and certainly uh, far better than DSL. Um, and most importantly, much more, economical to deploy obviously as we know fixed wireless um is going to use towers there's not a lot of uh, really intensive uh, you know construction involved in it and in fact at&t probably already has the tower um leases that they need to uh actually activate a lot of this i would guess um so yeah they're going to use a lot of their newly acquired mid-band spectrum that they spent so much money on in the uh, recent auctions to deploy this and AT&T is going for the rural uh, area and they're not really saying how many customers are specifically going to target with this but um, you know uh, I would imagine if you've got 6.2 million customers on DSL um, you know a good portion of those may maybe moved over to the fixed wireless product um, what are you going to get with the fixed wireless product you're going to get a uh, a home hub, uh, all fi hub receiver, and you're able to test it for free for a week. Nice. And yeah, prices uh, start, uh, I think, $55 a month. And uh, there's no overage charges. So seems nice. pretty, uh, you know, pretty much in the in the mean of, of broadband service pricing. Um, and of course, there's potential to... Um, for at t to maybe bundle that with, um, you know, wireless phone service, things like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out um, in some of these areas where there may be uh, no competition should be, you know, a nice little uh, upgrade should, should do well for a while. You know, there's a lot of small and medium sized wisps that may cover these areas as well. It'll be interesting to see how they compare to at and offering. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a, Another win for consumers, right? We've talked about it before is competition is, is generally good for, for the consumer and good for consumers. So not only is it a variety between like, hey, you know, wired internet access and now you have this wireless internet access uh, competing against each other in different options. But yeah, between the different between the different companies, right? Like you said, the, the, the smaller um, providers out there providing fixed wireless and now AT&T getting in on that um getting in on that action. So I think this is just a, another win for consumers and will only drive, you would think would only drive, um, you know, these organizations to, to continue to improve their service and pricing and everything. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's another, I mean, it's nice to see the progress. There's a lot of other, um, I guess, gains to be had as well. I mean, a kind of a footnote to this is we talk about AT&T decommissioning, uh, legacy copper plant their goal is to um, turn down 50 percent of it by 2025 um and that's not just because it's not competitive or viable anymore although that may largely be the case 
as far as its ability to deliver internet uh, speeds we can use. But it also saves a ton of money uh, to decommission this old copper plant. Uh, last numbers I could find is a year ago in the early stages of of um, decommissioning their old copper, they had already yielded had already yielded a reduction of over four billion in annualized kilowatt hours. So you can imagine the savings in energy and maintenance costs that you know will come with a lot of that uh, old, um, oh, yeah. less energy efficient equipment. So, for sure, lots well, exciting stuff. Yeah, but you know that's uh, that's one step in the process. Um, but the next step is six G. Yeah, <laughs> we're so talk about six G. Uh, but let's do. Let's take a quick break, and we'll we'll talk about six G. Yeah. All right, Andy. What's the what's the hottest news on six G? We haven't talked about that in a little while. We haven't. So, um, I would say it, it appears that six G is generally being talked about outside of uh, of the United States. So, definitely want to make that clear up front. But uh, I think it was yeah last week, or actually no, this week there was a six G symposium um, overseas where um, you know obviously a lot of different providers, vendors, researchers, inventors, all those type folks got together and, and talked about um, uh, 6G. So what are some of the things that, that came out of this symposium and what are some of the um, headlines that are, are being associated with uh, with 6G? Um, so you're talking about the cent- centimetric spectrum, right? It's going to offer uh, lower, or sorry, it's going to offer greater capacity than the lower bands, such as mid-range 5G spectrum or, or 4G bands. And what this, um, where this band kind of lives, or where it does live, it's a 7 gigahertz to 15 gigahertz spectrum. So it is, it's a, it sits between um, 5G mid-band and that uh, millimeter wave that uh, Verizon has utilized in, in the urban environments. Um, so if you remember. You know, we're talking about spectrum, right? We have high ends of spectrum, uh, like the millimeter wave, where you get a very fast, very rapid transfer of data, but it can't go very far distances. Distances. Then on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you have, you know, uh, a spectrum that can carry data a very long way, but it cannot carry it at the capacity or at the rate that the higher spectrum can do, right? So. This 6G spectrum, the 7 gigahertz, 15 gigahertz, it's on the higher end between mid-band, between millimeter waves. So we're talking about a good amount of capacity, a good amount of um, bandwidth, and still with you know a decent amount of, of distance that the data can travel. So that is where uh, you know pr- providers, that is where um, all these organizations are looking at uh, at implementing 6G. Uh, so, you know, we had the, the 5G, we had the spectrum auctions, you know, obviously both in Europe and in the United States, all the countries have not completed um, or completed auctions of, of all of the spectrum bands for 5G. So it's, it's just interesting that we're already, already looking at 6G. And part of it, like you had mentioned earlier, John, part of it is because of the somewhat disappointment of 5G. Uh, you know, when we first started talking about it, we were talking about, hey, self-driving cars. We're talking about <laughs> remote control, haptic surgery. Um, 
<laughs> and, and so yeah, so, you remember we're not that? there. Yeah, I know. We talked a lot about that, and I think if you would have asked us at that time, we would have figured, you know, year and a half, two years hence, we would have seen more examples of that put into practice. But as yet, not so much. No, I mean we haven't we haven't seen the needle really move. Like I don't think we expected self driving cars within a couple of years, but um, what we have seen are some self-driving cars that, that aren't using 5G that are getting into accidents and burning up <laughs> on the side of the road. So, you know, a lot of people are starting to think, well, hey, maybe we need to put a pin in this and uh, and work on some other things first. So um, yeah, not specifically ready for prime for, time. Not ready for prime time. <laughs> not at all. Specifically, telcos, they really haven't seen 5G move the needle, um, you know, in, in, in their business so far. So it's definitely capacity rich. It's more efficient. Um, but in terms of delivering what telcos thought 5G would deliver, uh, it's it's not it's not doing that. And and so you got to think like they hear 6G and they're not uh you know they're not having it right now. But alas, you know there's still the 6G symposium. It's going on. Um, and they're you know they're looking ahead. It, it seems like maybe that they're already giving up uh, a little bit on 5G and just kind of looking for the towards the future and seeing, hey, maybe 6G can be this this magical um, technology advance that, that gets us all of these things that we had talked about previously, you know, connected manufacturing uh, facilities and self-driving cars, haptic surgery, all of that. So yeah, we'll see I think- if, if maybe 6G can, can deliver on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... You know, it'll be interesting to see what it really, uh, I mean, from a technological standpoint, obviously we assume it's going to be just faster and can handle more data. Um, but, you know, practically, what does that all mean and what is that going to enable that 5G uh, wasn't able to do? I mean, um, you know, I think we fairly recently talked about uh, like connected tools that would like uh, could be oh, used yeah. in factories yep. and all this stuff. I mean, all this stuff is technically possible today, but... You know, I think with um, 5G for the wireless providers like your Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, um, you know, we're kind of reaching like a very high penetration rate for mobile phones in the U.S. So there's going to be a plateau to somewhat to how many new lines we can sell. Um, so they're going to have to find ways to grow outside of just getting more handsets out there uh, and more lines uh, and more subscribers. So, you know, I think the idea was with 5G, we can expand into more of these commercial applications and then mm-hmm. that's going to be a big growth engine for our company uh, since, you know, consumer wireless may be, growth may be slowing. Um, and we can't charge a lot more for this. Clearly, I think uh, Verizon was trying to charge more for millimeter wave and they got away from that. So if there's no more meat on the bone, then yeah, we got to definitely move forward to something that is going to, enable you know these additional growth potentials and, and profits i guess so there's there's definitely been some i don't maybe opposition is a strong word right but there's obviously definitely skepticism um and a number of, of companies are, are, are really wanting to to put the brakes on uh you know 6g and really having another huge investment in 6g right some uh a the director of network innovation transformation for virgin media o2 uh you know, had said, hey, it's time to stop talking about 5G, 6G, 7G, or whatever the next G is, right? Rather than, you know, making a big deal about each next G, about each new generation, 
you know, she called for the industry to stop the 10 year upgrade cycle and focus on, you know, technology evolution instead, right? Instead of this, this scheduled generation increase, like maybe we need to just not hamstring ourselves. Maybe we need to not put a deadline on it. And we actually just need to focus on what we have now and how we can, you know, evolve that technology um, using the hardware and the software that we have now, rather than just, you know, looking, always looking forward to, to the next G. Um, you know, one, one of the things you had, you know, you mentioned the, the tools and all the different, you know, fun things that we thought 5G would do. There is, appears to be some degree of consensus about uh, 6G's biggest innovation will be sensing, right? Where objects and clothes will have hundreds of tiny little sensors that will be able to upload data to the network about their dimension, location, movement status, all of that. And I, I can't help look at that and be like, why? You know, why, why are we, I, I, I'm sure there are practical applications for that and, and there will be in the future, but just looking at the, I don't want to say colossal failure, but just looking at the difficulties that 5G has had and, and rolling that out and, and some of the, you know, technological um, use cases and applications that 5G is supposed to have, uh, you know, we're putting the cart before the horse here, um, talking about 6G and talking about all these little tiny sensors that can be embedded into objects and clothes and uh we're just we're just we're getting a you know out in front of our skis here yeah a little bit i mean i love we've got to dream and and do things like that i mean that's like right now digital twins are the thing and and that are important and then having it all with live data i mean that would be huge but um yeah we're, we're we're a long way away from that it would seem and you know, going back to what you said about putting the brakes on further G development, I can understand why, you know, some of the providers would like to see that because, you know, they spent what, like a hundred billion dollars on 5G spectrum over the last few years, a hundred billion dollars. That's a huge investment. And that's mm-hmm. just the wireless spectrum. That's not the actual physical build out and upgrade costs, which is a huge capital outlay. So to say that we're going to have to start, you know, maybe haven't really recouped that or seen the the benefit of that yet, of that expense, and then we're already going to have to start looking at investments in 6G. I can see why, you know, from a business standpoint, you might be eager to say, hey, let's just perfect this and let's see if we can push that new CapEx, you know, hit out a little further. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just an insane amount of money that's been thrown into it and and to think that anybody's just going to underwrite that and move on to the next generation uh is is crazy john in a, in a couple of weeks time where uh we'll get to record an episode face to face in person which i'm super excited about and we're going to be doing that at next x which is uh may 8th to the 10th of 2023 in uh new orleans louisiana um, telecom show and definitely looking forward to uh to seeing you there and seeing a lot of these uh a lot of some good featured speakers that are, are going to be there yeah super pumped for that one and um you know chance for us to get out there again and, and do a live episode and uh our live recorded episode and see what's uh what the buzz is some of the uh some of the featured speakers that are going to be there are, are jay brown the president and ceo of crown castle uh Jeff Stops, or sorry, Jeff Stoops, the director, president, CEO of, of SBA, a, a tower company, the an EVP from American Tower, 
um, executives from Brightspeed and Charter, U.S. Cellular, Verizon, AT and T. Right. So it's a it's a it's a heavy hitting group of, of featured speakers that represents a, a good. Um, well, let's say a good mix of, of the whole telecom industry, right? From towers to fixed wireless to, to cable and fiber. Um, looking forward to, to hearing a, a good mixture of, uh, of speakers and learning a thing or two. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. And um, like you said, to have kind of a broad spectrum of uh, stakeholders um, in one place to talk about uh, connectivity and and where things are going, I think a lot of it clearly with a panel of led with the top three uh, tower um, companies in the U.S. Um, tells you that there's going to be a lot of focus on wireless and and clearly, you know, with Charter is a huge, hugely invested in in uh, going into that space um, along with other cable companies. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at their, um, you know, what it kind of the rundown of Connects X, it says it means 5G infrastructure, wireless edge private LTE, fixed wireless, millimeter wave, and connected real estate. So it'll be a really exciting uh, group of technologies and uh, excited to see what the, what the trends and what the, what the buzz is. Yeah. So if you're, if you're listening and you weren't planning on going, but you're free May 8th to 10th, I'm sure you can still sign up and register, but uh, it's shaping up to be a, a fantastic show. And uh, yeah, it's going to be great. Yep. Looking forward to it. Me too, John. Me too. Well, hey, John, I appreciate uh, the the talk today, talking about um, AT&T's fixed wireless, talking about, you know, the, the possibility of 6G. Um, I enjoyed it, man. Yeah, likewise. Can't wait for the next one. All right. Well, I'll hey. see you in New Orleans. I'll see you in New Orleans. And uh, until then, you are now logged off. Andy and John talk telecom.